0: Well, here's a preview of uh, what we're going to sing at the end of the service, and I'm going to try and teach us that we understand what we're singing. Here's what we're going to sing, hallelujah, which is a kind of spontaneous outpouring of a heart giving praise to God, hallelujah, may God be praised, why, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Now, if that sounds kind of vague, Colossians chapter 3 is going to give us precision to understand what it means, if you're a Christian here tonight, that you have union with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was in this room? Let me encourage you, that he is. He is living in you by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is right here with us in this room. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us tonight from Colossians. If you have a church Bible, we're on page 1183. Quite a bit of what I'm going to say. Johnny um, said last week... You're going to get it again. It's just so marvelous. And I just can't get to the bit that says, put to death sin, until we, have, we are united with Christ firmly in our hearts. The big danger is we'll all go home tonight with another set of rules. I want you to go home tonight with your affections, your emotions, your minds fixed on the person of Jesus Christ who lives in you. And then you will be able to put sin to death in your life. So Colossians 3 verses 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, just notice what Paul says, when Christ, who is, present tense, your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Barbarian city and slave, free with Christ in all and in all. Well, let's pray very quickly and with sincere hearts that God will teach us this wonderful doctrine of union with Christ and it will change us forever. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray tonight that we would grasp, all of us in this room, what it means to be united with the Lord Jesus, what it means that he is here, what that actually means for us, And Lord, if we are here and we're not yet convinced Christians, we pray that we'll understand that being a Christian is not about rules and religion. It's not about some kind of special revelation of knowledge or experience. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus, which means he lives inside of us. We live in him. And one day, we will physically be with him in a new creation for eternity. Teach us these marvelous things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Now, tonight, chapter 3, verse 5, if I get there, and I will, I promise, we're in the practical stuff at the end of the letter. And it's full of stuff about dealing with earthly passions and the things we say And then, as Neil will teach us next Sunday night, unity in the local church. Here's a preview of Neil's sermon. Unity, or union with Christ, is the grounds of unity in the local church. That would be a great title, Neil, for your sermon. And then, households. And then work. And then our relationships with people who aren't Christians. Practical stuff, really practical. Two things before we get into... Uh, our passage tonight by way of intro. First is that as Christians we struggle to make progress in living Christ-like lives. Often I think as, as Christians we live on the edge of honesty. How are you doing? Fine. You're not fine ever. Are you progressing in the Christian life? Well, actually the truth is we're struggling with sin. Now, It's good to begin a sermon with a dose of collective honesty. I may, of course, be speaking simply to myself. I did check out this week if others were struggling with sin, and they assured me they were, and I suspect all of us in this room are. A lot. And were it known what our struggles were this week, we would be ashamed. There's a very powerful bit in Christianity Explored when it talks about sin and Enrico Tice says, if you were to project your thoughts, emotions, words, and feelings on a screen, you would be ashamed. And then he says, so would I when mine were projected. So, let's have a dose of collective honesty that as Christians, we face many battles. The Apostle Paul knows that. And uh, until we are with the Lord Jesus with resurrection bodies, we'll struggle with sin. So, we struggle to make progress in the Christian life. That's the first kind of introductory um, thing I want to kind of chalk up for us all. The second thing is to say that in seeking to live Christ-like lives, there are false trails that we can follow that lead to despair. Now, these false trails are are twofold religion, rules and regulations. Paul says at the end of chapter 2, they have the appearance of wisdom, they look good, Do this, don't do this, but he says they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. Now my heart is kind of wanting to say, well, come on, Paul, they have some, surely. Surely they're they're not unhelpful. Don't do this, do this. But actually, if we think about our experience, Paul is right, they just don't work at all second false trail, Paul exposes, is some kind of special revelation or experience, some kind of higher knowledge or spiritual experience that moves us onto a different plane. So come through with me at the end to the study, and I'll pray with you. And I'll pray because I'm a minister that God will give you some special way to deal with sin. Tragically, the church is often full of that. Or some kind of second experience to conversion that says you didn't get all of that power at the start. Well, Paul says that's a false trail. And uh, remember, he's writing to strong churches in Colossae, and Paul is writing to a strong church, and he's saying to a strong, strong church, strong Christians, just be aware of these false trails. And uh, I think for us all, and and, uh, I'm first to sign up to this, my default mode is religion. I'll default to rules all the time. And they work till about Monday afternoon. But it doesn't change your life. Now, these are the two intros. Christians, we struggle to make progress, and there are false trails that promise, but in the end, they have no value. So where does that leave us? One might conclude it leaves us with a sense of despair, the endless battle with sin, the cycles of failure. Failure. What if that rings a bell with you, the endless battles with sin and the cycles of failure? What if you've had periods in your life when you've gone round in circles with sin? That you you go to bed at night and you think about sinful things and you wake up in the morning and sinful things come into your mind. It's like a cycle and you think, how am I going to crack out of this? Well, Paul does not leave us with a sense of despair. His honesty moves on to something that is wonderful. He shows us how we can grow as Christians, how we can become more Christ-like. Paul cautions us against false trails that promise Christ-likeness but don't deliver, but he never, ever in his writing cautions us against Christ-likeness itself. What Paul wants to do in this letter is reclaim the center ground and say, this is how you become like Jesus. Now, what is the key? Well, You'll see on the sheet, what Paul says is this. Here's the key that liberates us as Christians. And it's had a, a profound effect on me listening to, to Johnny preaching last Sunday. And almost because it's so powerful, I've got to preach it again a little bit. So we'll grasp it. I'm so keen that you grasp this. It's such a wonderful thing. What's the key to living a Christ-like life? Getting our heads around the fact that we are united with Christ. Getting our heads around the fact that Christ is here in this room with us. And so when we get to verse 5 and it says, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. We're not there yet. Verse 5 is over there. We've got to get to verse 5, knowing that Jesus is standing beside us, or in us. What a difference that makes. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Jesus Christ, is in your mind, in your heart, your affections are on him, you see his visible body with you. Getting our heads around the fact that as Christians we are united with Christ. So Paul says, if, verse 1 of chapter 3, you have been raised, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now look carefully at what he is saying. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian here tonight if you have trusted in Jesus as your savior and lord you have past tense been raised with Christ you already have been resurrected and resurrection means a new well a bit of your body has been resurrected the flesh is still to be resurrected but but there is in your flesh and blood resurrection now the holy spirit is a person who inhabits flesh and blood in us. You have been raised, and you have died to the power of sin. So you're sitting tonight with wonderful potential. And it's not that God is out there and will realize the potential in your life. The potential that will be realized is God in your life. It's a very different thing. God working himself out through you because he is inside of you by the Spirit. Now, Paul comes at this in all sorts of different ways. Look at verse 4. It's a marvelous verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's talking about the return of Jesus and the new creation, where we'll live physically with him. But just notice the beginning of the sentence, when Christ, who is, present tense, Now, at this moment, when Christ, who is your life. Gary, you're in my sight line. I don't want to pick on you. Jesus Christ is your life now. That's a marvelous thing. And I kind of picked on somebody because this is personal. It's wonderful. Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord, but he is your life. His life is your life. When you become a Christian, Jesus lives in you. The person of Jesus lives in you by the Holy Spirit. Why does Paul not talk in Colossians about the indwelling Spirit? Why does he talk about the indwelling Jesus? I think what he wants us to do, it's the same thing. It's three persons... uh, Uh, one God in three persons. It's the Spirit of Christ. I think what Paul wants us to do is not think about the Spirit. He wants us to think about Jesus Christ, the, the man, the person in us. He wants us to understand that God in bodily form lives in us. What a contrast that is from rules and regulations. You have died, You have been raised. Christ is your life living in you. Getting our heads around the fact that as Christians we are united with Christ. Now, Paul talks about our union with Christ in a number of different ways in the letter. You maybe haven't grasped this yet. Let me show you a couple of other ways in case you haven't. hope you don't mind that I'm doing the same sermon as last week again. But this is wonderful stuff changes your life completely. You know, when you hear somebody using a phrase like a personal relationship with Jesus, or I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and invited him into my life, what on earth does that mean? It's kind of vague. It's not vague. It's union with Christ. I asked Jesus to come into my flesh and blood in his person. That's what a personal relationship with Jesus means. So, go back to chapter 1 and the section from verses 24 to 29. Paul speaking about his own ministry to the Gentiles, how God has charged him to proclaim the gospel. You know what makes somebody want to proclaim the gospel? Not because they're told to, it's because they understand how marvelous it is paul wants to tell the whole world that if you trust jesus he can live in you and so paul says verse 27 of chapter 1 to them the gentiles god chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery the gospel what's the glories of the gospel what is the gospel christ in you the hope of glory How does Paul describe the gospel? Christ in you. Christ in you. Not Christ as your Savior, not Christ as your Lord, not Christ as your example to follow, not Christ as your aspiration, but Christ in you, in your body, in your mind, His person in your person. One more reference, chapter 2, 6, and 7 heart of the letter, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, walk in Him. Not walk like Him, not walk behind Him, not live your life after His example, but walk in Him. Here's an illustration, far from perfect, but it might help us to see. What's a better way to improve your golf? A. To have a DVD analysing Rory McIlroy's golf swing with a set of instructions for you to follow. Or B. To have Rory McIlroy walk round the course with you. Well, it's obvious if you follow a set of rules in a manual, you're going to forget, make mistakes, the old habits will return, your shoulder will drop, the hand position will be wrong. But if you have Rory McIlroy standing there with you on the tee or the fairway in the green, he'll correct your mistakes because he's beside you. It's almost like you're hitting a shot and you're conscious of his presence. What if you think of Jesus like that. It shows you how the illustration is poor because... Jesus is not the same as Rory McElroy. With Jesus, it's even better. It's always better. (laughs) What's the difference with Jesus? It's almost as if as you as you take your, your shot, the Lord Jesus has his hands around your hand as you live your life. What's better? A covenant eye software. To check up on what you are watching online or the eyes of Jesus Christ living in you. What is better? His vision? Transforming your vision? Or your friend? Checking up on what you're watching. Which is good, but not half as good as the Lord Jesus sitting there with you when you're online. Now, we're going to get to verse 5 in two minutes. Two more things to say in verses 1 and 4. One, the fact of where Jesus is. Where is Jesus now? He's not here. Where is he? Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. That's why Paul in verses 1 and 4 says, fix your mind on uh, heavenly things where Jesus is. He's saying to us, he's not saying something, he's, he's not saying Forget about this union with Christ thing and just look forward to the time you were with him. He's saying the way that you're going to get union with Christ clear in your minds is get your minds on where he physically is. Still, union with Christ. He's at the right hand of God. Think of him there. See him visibly, physically. He's in you by the Spirit. The other thing Paul talks about in verses 1 and 4 is the fact of the now and the not yet. When Christ, who is your life, appears, uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. And uh, what I can promise you tonight is that the doctrine of the union with Christ can liberate you from the power of sin, but not from the presence of sin until we're with Jesus in glory. So here's a practical principle to take into verse 5. We're nearly there. Okay, we're waggling on the T. Here we go. This is what you need to hold in your mind as we get to verse 5. Hold in your mind tomorrow morning or at 11 o'clock tomorrow night if you're online and you struggle with that kind of thing. Here we go. Conscious. Physically conscious of your union with Jesus. That Christ is in you, that you walk in Him, that Christ is your life. Set your affections, your emotions, and your minds constantly on Him who is seated at the right hand of God, remembering that your future is to live with Him for eternity. And then, Then, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Why don't we try it now? Conscious now of your union with Jesus. Set your affections now, your emotions, your love. Think of him, Jesus, the resurrected bodily Jesus. Jesus living in you by the Holy Spirit. Set your emotions and your love on him, on his person, who at this moment is seated at the right hand of God. Do your mind is on him now? Do your mind on him? Do your mind on him? Is your mind free now at this moment of earthly, fallen pleasures? Yes. Because you are putting them to death, because your mind is on the bodily, resurrected, raised Christ. That's why people who are so close to Jesus live holy lives. Because Jesus fills and consumes their minds and hearts. And so, Paul writes, verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. It's a pretty uh, earthly list, isn't it? You know, all that stuff about being too heavenly-minded for earthly use. Paul could not have been more heavenly-minded than he has been in verses 1 and 4, and he could not be more earthly practical than he is in verses 5 through 9. What is more earthly than the list in verses 5 and 8? How do you become of earthly, transformative use as a Christian? Be so heavenly-minded that your mind and your affections are always on the Lord Jesus. And what are the areas of life Paul is highlighting? What does he pick to put to death? What does he know by the inspiration of the Spirit that normal little church families all across the world for the next 2,000 years needed to hear on a Sunday night? What is earthly in us? Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and covetousness, such as idolatry. Now, all the Bible commentators try to say this list is not what it's about. They say it's really about idolatry, where Paul ends. Yes, idolatry is there. Yes, covetousness is there. But so too is sexual sin all over the list. It's obvious. Earthly instincts to satisfy self. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Beginning of verse 9, do not lie to one another. What dominates the lift? Stuff that comes out of our mouth. And so what's Paul's point? Because we are united with Christ, put to death earthly passions and earthly speech. Let me just throw out a, a, a question to you. What would our church family be like, all 350 of us, however many we are on a Sunday, if we put to death Earthly passions in our lives and earthly speech from our lips. What a difference it would make. And what a difference it would make to those who looked on. That's where Paul's going in the next bit of the letter. Why does he highlight these areas of life where the particular battles the Christians in the churches in Colossae faced? Did they really battle with that kind of sexual sin in their life? And that's why he focused on that. There's no evidence of that. It's simply that it's normal stuff that Christians struggle with. Sexuality and speaking are the two major lines of moral teaching in the New Testament. Because Paul knows from his own human heart where the battlegrounds are fought. and I don't want to join any of the dots up with where we've been through in our denomination, but look what Paul says in verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So when the church in a nation says these things are out of the goodness and the grace of God, verse 5, God's assessment is the wrath of God is coming. Now, the key application, though, is not that. It is us, and we need to hear that warning, too. Paul's great. He he says, put to death what is earthly in you. How do you do it? The positive is fix your minds and your affections on the heavenly Christ, but also on account of these. These. The wrath of God is coming. So take them very seriously. We're quick to justify that an ongoing battle with sin will not rob us of our salvation, but of course that's right. But nonetheless, we need to heed these warnings and heed what the Bible says with the utmost seriousness. But Paul's primary strategy is not to rebuke us or warn us, but to remind us that we can put to death these earthly things because of our union with Christ. So he says, verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. On what basis? Because now you walk in Jesus, because Jesus is now your life, because you are united with Christ. Your old self is gone. You're now a new person in Jesus. Now, I suspect that some of us by this stage in the room have defaulted back to the rules. Let me just remind you again, what's better, covenant eyes on your computer or the eyes of Jesus Christ in your eyes? Conscious of your union with Christ, that Christ is in you, that you walk in Him, that He is your life. Set your affections and your minds constantly on His person at the right hand of God, remembering that your future is to live with Him for eternity in a new creation. If that is our daily mindset, then we will conquer sin. We really will. Let me tell you very personally, from my own experience, that, it's, that it works. It works. I suspect I'm not alone in this cycle of struggle with sin. Fill your mind. Fill your heart with affections for the Lord Jesus. Live your life not as if it were that he was beside you. Live your life conscious that he is beside you. He's in you and put to death that cycle of sin that you struggle with in your life. Now, I'm going to leave verses 9 to 11 because I think they go with what Paul goes on to say about the local church. Very striking. Neil's on this next week. What is the primary application for union with Christ that Paul immediately goes to when you've sorted out your own life... The unity of the local church. That's striking. You put on a poster outside the church. Union with Christ means unity in the local church. Let me finish with this. Why? Why? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Should we do this as Christians? Yes, it gives God glory. What's the purpose in it all, though? What's the purpose in living Christ like lives? Two purposes in this letter. One, it renders the Christian community so different from anything else in our society that it is magnetically attractive, not just a little bit, wonderfully attractive. There's nothing like it. This afternoon at the service at 3 o'clock, um, We had five young men singing. (laughs) I am not ashamed to own my Lord. One old lady said to me at the end, they really believe that. And I said to her, do you? And she said, no. She said, I'd like to. And that is a tiny microcosm of how union with Christ renders the Christian so wonderfully attractive and how it renders the church so wonderfully attractive that it becomes a a magnet to people in our world. It becomes light in a dark world, and people see Christ in us, and they say, what is the reason for the hope that burns in your heart? It's purpose. Purpose to display the gospel, and there is wonderful purpose in your life as an individual. Just look as we finish at the end of chapter 3. Verse 16 of chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What has Paul said? What does he say all through his letters? With thanks in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you and I get union with Christ, And if we are able therein to put to death sin in our life and put on a new self, we will display Christ to the world and God be glorified in that. But we will find ourselves spontaneously saying, thank you to God, thank you to the Lord Jesus, thank you God, thank you Jesus for what you have done in my life. Not that you are realizing, Lord Jesus, the potential in me, but that, Lord Jesus, you are realizing your potential in me. That's a very different thing. It's a wonderful thing. Well, I hope if you're a Christian, this will change your life. And I hope if you're not a Christian that some of the cobwebs and the fog have been blown away, that being a Christian is not about religion, being about Christian is walking through life with Jesus Christ living in you. And being a Christian is about living in eternity, side by side with the resurrected bodily Christ, forever. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would grasp these wonderful truths about union with the Lord Jesus, We pray that we would understand what it means to walk in him. We pray that we would understand what it means that Christ is our life. We pray, Lord, that we would understand the difference between covenant eye software and the eyes of Jesus Christ, his vision, our vision, our vision, his vision. We pray that we would understand what it means to have the Lord Jesus Christ with us, in us, day by day. And Lord, we pray thereby that we would individually and corporately as a church family put to death all that is sinful by way of bodily passions and by way of speech. And we pray that we would therefore be attractive and winsome and Christ-like, that there would be a quality in our fellowship, a quality in our lives that is simply magnetic and irresistible and causes people spontaneously to say, what is it about you? And we pray, Lord, that as well as creating the opportunity for impact, it would render in us thankful hearts. That we would not be, as men and women, conceited or resentful, but that we would be abounding in that daily sense of thanksgiving for the wonderful, wonderful things you have done for us in the Lord Jesus, not least and above all else. That he is not simply... Saviour and Lord, but that he is in me, now and forevermore. What a wonderful truth that is. Burn it into the depths of our hearts, and may it change our lives fundamentally. For we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake.